Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hello again, guys. This is Jim with Creative Play and Podcast. I've got a great uh, published author and uh, module maker and GM, Dan Hass, with us. And uh, Dan, go ahead and tell us a little about yourself. Uh, okay, well, uh, I, I just love games in general, but uh, oh, I've been, I, I began playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, when Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first came out in 1978. And I have drifted in and out of Dungeons and Dragons because of life things or my own inclinations over that past 30-something years. And then 5th edition came out, and I've just been really, really happy with 5th edition. And uh, whereas the full – so I, I play games every night. You know, every, I play games three or four hours every, every day. Um, and but before fifth edition came out, that was spread across many different games. Uh, I played a lot of board games, even played a little poker. Um, but since fifth edition came out, I you know I, I play Dungeons and Dragons either as a player or as a DM, probably 20 to 25 hours a week. So yeah, I, I'm I'm really impressed with it, and I haven't got bored with it so far. So uh, I don't know what else you want to know, but. Yes, I'm an open book. I have nothing to hide. <laughs> Alrighty. So the one thing that brought me uh, brought you to my attention was actually the Kickstarter you currently have going on for the Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition Level Four to Five uh, Leveling Pack, which is actually really great. Uh, I just like the format you got on Kickstarter of here's a package of adventures for this level range. Uh, can you tell us a little about that? Yeah. Um, so uh, I had. I was I had been aware of Kickstarter and thought it was just a, a, a really cool, you know, online thing for years and and always thought, yeah, maybe one of these days I'll have an idea that that I can do a Kickstarter for. And um so what had happened was uh, we've been playing uh when the uh, Monster Manual came out, we started a new campaign. We lost uh, I was the DM and we had uh, first level characters and uh there was the Tyranny of Dragons, which is which is you know a, a good uh, published material, but there wasn't a lot of published material out there. Uh, there's the Wizard's Amulet uh, is is a first level dungeon that was out there, and but there was so after uh, four sessions, uh, we I, we you know I'd written the adventures for those four sessions, which were really just my notes. You know, they, they were like all the end to do. But I had written adventures back in 3.5 when they had the Living Greyhawk stuff. So I was familiar with writing uh, adventures, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So I thought, well, that's a good Kickstarter thing. I'll, I will polish these up into, into what a published adventures are kind of supposed to look like. I didn't, I didn't go way overboard with it. I didn't invest a lot of time in graphics or formatting. I just said, yeah. And so I'll, I'll put it up on Kickstarter, and if... You know, if 10 or 12 people are interested in it, then that'll be great. And then I had uh, the first Kickstarter I did for the Level 1 Adventures had, I think, over over 90, almost 100 backers. Uh, and so that was, you know, that was amazing. I was like, okay, so there's interest for that. And so then I did the, the same thing with, when, with the Level 2 Adventures. 
And then so so all the way up. So this is the the fifth kick, fourth Kickstarter to take them to fifth level. Um, and each one has been growing with more and more backers each time. Um, and it's you know it's, it's really nice to know that you're that you're putting something out there that people want to see and will use. Yeah, it's really very rewarding. I mean, you know, I, I guess there are people who do get rich off of the Kickstarter, but I, I wasn't looking to get rich off the Kickstarter. I was just looking to find an audience, uh, you know, who who would appreciate what I was doing, and and it's very gratifying to see that happen. Yeah, I'm I'm very very happy with it. If anybody has any sort of idea that would be appropriate with Kickstarter, I definitely recommend it as a way to go. It's been very, very, uh, I'm very happy with the results. Yep. That's fantastic. Cause yeah, pretty much I've shown each one of your Kickstarters has gotten at least a hundred backers. I mean, and you've got quite a few of them going, you know, so far. So currently your current Kickstarter has got about 52 hours to go. I'm going to make sure to edit and post this today. So that way I can hopefully get a few more people to find, find you on Kickstarter. So, uh, so all in all, it's been it's been a really positive experience with Kickstarter. Yes, wholly positive. Yeah, I, I have I have uh, had no negative experiences with it at all. Yeah, you know, usually there's some wrinkle or two uh, that comes in, but uh, yeah, the, the Kickstarter experience has been 100% positive from my from my perspective. Yeah, that's fantastic. So for those of us that may have missed your early adventures, where can someone actually find them online for your right. earlier level packages? Right. So uh, if you go to uh, drivethroughrpg.com, and that's with a T-H-R-U, not an O-U-G-H. So drivethroughrpg.com, uh, and you look up uh, Dan Hass Endeavors. Um, that's what I'm published under there. And they're... Each adventure is published individually, and then there there are also packets that have them grouped uh, the same as they were published on the Kickstarters. There's the level one packet, the level two packet, and so forth and so on. Yeah, and there there what what I what I do is when the Kickstarter is over, I will take all of those, move them to Drive Through RPG, and that that's that actually. Drive the RPG is set up very good for uh, Kickstarters because you can you can publish it there, and then DriveThru has tools that lets you send the link to all your backers so that they can then uh, use Drive the RPG to download it for free, and it has a number of other benefits too in that it they will they archive your 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 content there too so that. Uh, so that people don't have to keep contacting you to say, oh, you know, I changed computers and need to re-download or whatever. Um, they can just go back to our, drive the RPG and re-download it any time they need to. Yeah, drive the RPGs. Uh, I, I'm, I've had almost a 100% uh, positive uh, experience with that. The only negative experience I have was my own fault, so I can't blame drive the RPG for that. Yeah. That's actually fantastic to hear about because I, I personally use DriveThruRPG all the time, and it, it is nice that depending on what computer I'm at, I can go, oh, crap, I don't have that that, full, that PDF here. Go online, click download. Within three seconds, I've got the book. Yeah, yeah, really a great service, yeah. But that's good to hear from the publisher's side how, how good it is as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, the, <laughs> the problem I, I ran into which I, I can tell you about. It's, it's interesting, uh, but it's, it's kind of tangential, but it's interesting. But 
in in my original adventures, I had almost no graphics, no no images at all. I just don't. I'm not a really an image related guy, um, and I had had several people uh, encourage me to include uh, more artwork in my adventures. So I had contacted uh, this particular person and and who uh, had advertised uh, that she had artwork for sale. And I said, Yeah, I would like to have some some original artwork for my adventures. And then I, well, there's no apparent about it. She did. She, she just, uh, she just went out to the web and just grabbed a bunch of other people's art oh. and presented it as, as her own. And so uh, this is actually the last Kickstarter that I did. So, but so I, she represented it as her own and, and, uh, I included it in my adventures. And the day I published it on drive through RPG, uh, several of the artists and they were right to do this. And, you know, I said, Hey, this guy's using my artwork without my permission. And then so drive through RPG pulled it all down and notified me, said, you know, and so I had to go through and pull out all that artwork out of my material and republish it. But that wasn't drive through RPG's fault. I just didn't properly vet my, my provider. Yeah. It was, that was, I, I, I take my responsibility in that affair. Yeah, so. yeah, that was but, someone else, else's breach of ethics, basically, because, I mean, if, if in goodwill you commission artwork, you're expecting someone to make something new and original for you. Right, yeah. Um, and, but, yeah, that, it, it, was, it was a bad situation, and, and, uh, and <laughs> I don't really have a, a, a advice on how to avoid that, <laughs> unless you do the artwork yourself, I guess, then you know it's yours, but... Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, with with our gaming group, we're kind of artistically challenged when it comes to drawing. So it's the same way of you know going out and commissioning folks to do art for us. But yeah, that... I'm the same way. I I my I have my art skills are quite poor. Yeah. Yeah. I did find a, an excellent uh, online uh, tool for creating creating maps that dramatically increased my. Uh, the quality of the maps I was making, but yeah, as far as, you know, character drawings and that sort of stuff, it would be great if I were better at it, but I'm, I'm just not. <laughs> See, we all have our own creative talents and it comes out in different ways. Right. Yeah. But that does speak well of drive through RPG that they, they had from their end protected the people's interest in their artwork. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I don't blame our drive through RPG for that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah, that was, it was just a, I just was in a bad situation that was uh, yeah. my fault, really. I guess. Yeah. I, I, but no, I, I I wholly recommend drivethroughrpg.com. Yeah, they're 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 a quality service. Um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, since you have played D and D for so long, uh, here's a here's a random question for you. Uh, what's your favorite was What's your favorite D and D published adventure that was that was released by the company? Is there any one that particularly uh, sticks out? And this is probably part nostalgia, but the Keep of the Borderlands was to this day is my favorite. You know, I, I we ran that and restocked it, and I don't know how many times in in the in the seventies and eighties that. I, I both as a player and uh, a DM that we did keep it. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone who's played D&D for any amount of time is familiar with Keeper of the Borderlands. It's, you know, it's kind of a legendary adventure. So, yeah, yeah, but that's my favorite. 
Yeah, that is actually an awesome sandbox game adventure. So that way you can you can even have multiple groups going off at the same time in the same adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, it's yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, so as a as a fellow GM, describe what your creative process is when you decide to sit down and write something. So so I, I have uh, I, I I'm DM for three and a half weekly groups, and the reason I say it three and a half is one we alternate uh, who DMs, um, and then I play in another one and a half, right? So but as a as a DM. So I've got three groups that I'm looking at, and I try to find something. And I don't like to create. Well, I, I just I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to create, you know, three wholly different adventures every week for all three groups. So there's some. I'm looking for some sort of commonality amongst the three that I can. And then I'm going to want to vary that. Uh, you know, maybe. So y'all give me an example. One of the one of the PCs in the Thursday night game is on this quest to find these insectoid creatures who um, made him an orphan. They, they wiped out his village when he was a baby. And so he has, he has this very elaborate backstory that he had spent a lot of time working on to make his character unique. So I, so, you know, I want to encourage that and I, and I appreciate it. You know, it, it makes the game interesting for me whenever the players don't just show up and say, okay, I have a, a wizard, you know, they, they actually come through and, and, you know, invest the time and energy to make their characters something that, that I can look at and say, okay, this is going to be interesting to play with. So, so you know, almost always there will be uh, an encounter, you know, on that Thursday night group where I'm I'm tailoring the overall adventure with at least an encounter uh, for that particular PC because, you know, he's invested so much energy in his in his PC that I don't want to ignore that. I, I, you know, and hopefully by, by showing the other players uh, that I'm willing to do that for him, they will put that much energy into their characters too. So, but I, there will be some sort of a, of an overarching problem that all three groups are going to be attacking. And I'm, and I'm going to want to see what, how they do that. Right. That's, that's the fun thing for me is that, you know, I'm going to present a So for example, at this particular moment, and this will this will be the next set of Kickstarters. Um, there's there's a cult of Orcus operating in this extremely corrupt city, and the three groups are all trying to bring down this cult cult of Orcus, and they're 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 going about. And so the interesting thing for me is it's like okay, how are they going to do that? So I have I have these challenges that I set up without the intention of locking the, the parties into a, a narrow path to victory. I want them to have a broad range. Uh, you know, some of them are may want to, if, if it's going, if it's looking like it's going to be combat, uh, some of them may have the option of, you know, a direct assault. Others may try to break up the encounter into factions and pick them off at a piece. Others may try to uh, eliminate it with some sort of deception or negotiation. And I want to have all of those options available for them. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I want, I want the encounters to be as open-ended as the DM will want to allow. So anyway, so I, I will have an idea. So, you know, we're going up against the cult of work and then I will, I will have the elements of that. So there's, you know, there's a temple, dedicated to orcas where bad things go on and there's altars and portals to the abyss that they can open and whatever. And then from that point, once I have set up and, you know, and, and I use the encounter guidelines to make, to make it a fair challenge, you know, and from that point on, I'm just the referee. 
right? So I've, I've established a challenge, and now I present it to the players, and I want to see what they do to overcome that challenge. So uh, that's, that's, that's what's guiding my creative process from, from my perspective. Does that answer that question? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, okay. yeah. I mean, I like I like from the previous adventures that I've actually seen is you do you do angle towards the crunchier side of encounters. So fights are actually a good solid fight, as opposed to something that's just really easy to get by. So if they choose to hit the wall, the wall is going to hit back. Yeah, and you know, a lot of that comes from uh, my experience in three point five. Well, actually, what happened in three point five? Uh, was that I, I just moved to Tulsa, and I fell in with a group of very good players uh, who would just pour over the source material and dig out, you know, every way they can use any trait or ability to maximize their power curve, right? So they were they these, and I still play with them. They, this is my Monday night players, that, and they will. You know, they are the definition of min-maxing. You know, so so as the DM for them, if it was going to be challenging with them, I had to also go in and find all those exploits uh, that that you could use as the and in the adventures. Um, I tried to point out to the DMs, uh, you know, make it very clear at the beginning that hey, some of this stuff may be overpowered for your group. If you're if you're DMing a you know a, a casual set of players, uh, some of the things that I do in there you may not want to do for them because it can be overpowered. So, um, so anyway, so I spend a, a a lot of my time trying to make it to where the DM is going to be able to make the if it's if combat's occurring. Uh, it should not be something that the players are going to raffle stomp through. It should be something that the DM is going to be able to to present a legitimate challenge to even very min max players. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 if you look in the in the adventures, I, I flag those things with a with a with a superscript to, oh, to point oh, yeah. out to the DMs. Yeah, that yeah, then, you know, this is this is something that you may not want to do for everybody. So yeah. Um. Yeah, I, no- <laughs> I noticed it's like one of the first pages that I noticed was that script, and I'm like. Okay, I can I can understand that because hey, I used to have a, a group of friends that back when we played 3.5, they were hardcore mini maxers. So if I didn't make a, a grinder dungeon, they weren't challenged. They pretty much would just walk through everything, and they didn't even break a sweat, you know. So I completely understand the whole you need to give them something to actually challenge them as opposed to just an exercise to go through. Right. Yeah. And besides. Yeah. Sometimes that motivates them to not want to fight because they don't want to deplete the resources. Yeah, and you know, there's a whole philosophy on that. I, I, I there are there in addition to the players I'm talking about. Um, you know, I guess I don't know if every uh, if every urban area is this way, but at least here in Tulsa, there are there's like a subculture, right, of, of, of gamers. Uh, and within that subculture, there there are some very experienced, very good DMs uh, that I that we discuss these things with, and we're split on this. Some so some of them are like, uh, say, their position is is that you should be you should fairly routinely present encounters that are that are unwinnable. Um, that the PCs the, the just should pick up from the clues that yeah we should not fight here and should and should just you know negotiate or or hide or you know whatever to avoid going into combat with these with these type of these type of guns. and then some of some of them and I'm I'm on this camp uh, I I believe that you can make an 
if, it, if it's set up to be a, a reasonable combat encounter, it should be winnable by the PCs. If they, you know, if they are playing their characters very well, uh, I don't think it's fair to, you know, to drop a CR 15 on on a bunch of fourth level players, for example. You know, but, I, but that's but there's there's a legitimate argument that 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 against in the other camp camp, and and I recognize the legitimacy of that argument that it keeps it keep it keeps players from just going through and just fighting everything, turning them into a bunch of murder hobos, as we say. Yep. Um, if, you, if you have an occasional encounter where they, if they fight it, they just die. You know? So that, that's a legitimate argument, yeah. But, but I do, in, in, in the adventures I write, you know, they, they, they could at least in theory win the combat if, if they fight it. So. And, and they just need to learn that, okay, sometimes we just shouldn't poke the bear, you know. Even Napoleon learns, sometimes you lose. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, yeah. You know, eventually you will find that guy who's bigger and tougher than you, and you just may need to retreat. <laughs> yeah, but um, this is one of the great things about about 5th edition, or so I guess some people don't like this. There are a couple of DMs I know who don't like this. Is that in the DMG you can follow the altering the monster guidelines and you can make a creature as hard as you want to make it and with and its calculated CR will be within the uh, the value. Now the its real CR and its calculated CR are two separate things. There are you can create a creature whose CR is significantly lower than its actual challenge or significantly higher than its actual challenge if you want to. Yeah. But there's a lot of room in there for DMs to work with. Yeah. Yeah, I've been toying around with some combinations and you can come up with some pretty sick combinations of, of what you can do to something to jack it up just enough so it fits in the adventure, but you really know it's a solo encounter that you don't want any additional adds to that that attack because it just gets messy. Which yeah, is... there, are th- there are things in there that are, uh, when I read them, I was like, well, that's just not right. But, but I'll just give you an example. Um, in the DMG guideline, it says, you know, black letter, um, that the skills of the monster have no effect on CR. And just from a reality standpoint, you know, if, if there's a, if there's one creature that is plus eight to grapple and one creature that is plus two to grapple, that plus eight grappling creature is a lot more of a challenge than the one that is a plus two to grapple. But according to the MG there, that has no effect on CR. So you can you can look at those things and say, okay, well I'm going to have a creature with a really big grapple and it doesn't affect its CR, um, which is you know I just just inaccurate in in actual play, even though that's what they say in the DMG. So it, at least if used properly by the GM, <laughs> you know, right? Plus yeah. plus eight to grapple and it comes up out of the water that the group is walking by. Boom! Instant advantage to the GM. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, and so that that goes back to what I was saying earlier. You know, you don't want if you're looking to to really test a min-max group, you can exploit those type of things, but you don't want to drop that on a group of you know casual players who are more there to play their negotiating bard than they are to go out and try and you know try and defeat something that's equally min-max to them. You know. Definitely, and as the there's always the GM caveat of. 
Well, it's the story you're going for. So at any point, since you're behind the jam screen, you can kind of nudge some of those numbers just a bit if, if you see things going the wrong direction. Yeah. and As, as long as it's only done is, occasionally. <laughs> right. And, and uh, that is very much an art um, that comes with – well, some people develop it early on. But, but yeah, it, you want things to be interesting and exciting, and you sometimes have to fudge a few things, maybe save a couple of hit points or add a couple of hit points to keep the things you know on that razor's edge where um, yeah, you want it to be you know up until the last to the last arrow is shot, it's like, oh, are we going to win this or are we going to have to run? you know and and yeah that's that's make that makes for a a great combat encounter when you know you you you're going at it for 15 minutes and you still don't know if you're if you're going to win or lose. Yeah, that's 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 kind of the the goal of a combat encounter is those razor's edge stuff. Yeah, definitely. Because the way I always gauge it is, I either want them cheering like they just got the winning touchdown, or I want them all slumping back in their chairs, sighing a sigh of relief when the last creature drops. Because if you yeah. get one of those two reactions, you know they just had a great time. Yeah. If they're just ho home over it and let's go to the next room, it's like, okay, apparently we need to kick this up a notch. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And and that's actually um going back to my creative process, that's one of the reasons that I that I run three three groups is um that way I can I can take an adventure and and I can refine it as I go through each of those groups so that hopefully by the time I'm done with the third group, I have, uh, you know, taken something and, and refined it into something that's going to be pretty good. I used to have, um, in, in the, in the, in the, like the first couple of Kickstarters, I had a couple of other GMs who would, who would run it for me too. Um, and then they kind of fell out. Uh, they had life things come up and they couldn't do it anymore. So, so now it's, I just run three, play, have to run three play tests myself. I would, I would like it if I had at least a couple of other GMs who are running them for me too and could give me notes, but it's hard to find someone who can do that consistently on a timeline. So Yeah, getting the the, the whole collaboration of running a game plus giving you a debrief on, on it afterwards. Right. Yeah. Plus getting feedback from their players as well. I mean that's that was one thing that was really nice with the uh the adventure the D and D Adventure League for the Wizards of the Coast. The when D&D Next came out, it was, what, a year of product testing in stores mm-hmm. to finally refine what D&D Next was going to become 5th edition, which I had to give them credit for that one, that they actually pushed so long so hard to get something everyone likes. Yes, yeah. And and I don't know how many thousands of play testers they had, but they had several dozen just in Tulsa. Yeah, so I mean, if that was replicated in you know every urban area across the nation, that's you know, that's many thousands of playtesters all contributing. So yeah, it's no surprise that it turned out to be so good when you when you consider how much effort they went into making it good. Yeah, which which that's the nice thing is it does show that they they've put so much work into it. So uh, you kind of mentioned earlier about your next project, so I was going to actually ask you about that. Of what project are you working on right now, and what's what projects can we probably see from you in the future? Um, well, what, what I'm, what I'm doing now, my intention is <laughs> to take, uh, uh, each level up to 20th and then have a, a final set of three or four epic level adventures. 
and I'm trying to get out one level a month. So that would be another 16 month worth of worth of Kickstarters there, which that's a pretty long timeline there. Uh, and you know, you never know what life's going to do to you. But that's my intention: is to go a, a level a month until I get to 20. Um, some of those levels may be narrowed though, because if you look at the XP progression, some of the levels uh, don't have the XP range to support a, a you know a full four or five adventures. Um, like I like I'm, and I'm I don't have my books with me, but I'm going off memory. Seems like seventh level is like very narrow. Yeah, it's more of a quick adventure chain instead of a campaign right and and first level was kind of that way too um i had i had to work very hard to keep it from being you know one or two adventures i mean, it ended up being three in my progression but um so that may be contracted down to the point you know there may be some some months where I, i'm actually going through two levels uh, which would bring that down something more into the to the year range um, which is what sounds a lot less daunting than than a year and a half at least. So, but that's my uh, that's my expectation and my goal. So, still, it's a fantastic goal to set, and it's actually pretty ambitious for publishing. If if you know, a lot of folks out there don't, may not think it, but that's that's publishing a lot of material. Yeah, that's true, um, and uh, that's why I say you know, life could interfere with that. You know, there's. There could be something. I don't. I don't see that happening. I have a pretty comfortable uh, employment situation that allows me to play, you know, spend 25 or 30 hours on the each month or each week. So that's awesome. You know, when yeah, life could change. When life supports the hobby, that's an amazingly awesome thing. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but but that would be great. I like I said, that's my expectation and my hope um, is to have. You know, a year, maybe a little more than a year from now, complete that up through 20. And then I, I'm i really anxious to see what I can do with um, some post-20 stuff. with Because I've never done that, and I don't know anyone who has. So that's kind of unexplored territory. Like even like Tyrion of Dragons only goes up to, you know, 16th level. And uh, I'm, I'm, I've been, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do with that, that stuff. So that, that that's kind of exciting for me. Yeah, I was a little apprehensive when I was seeing the whole taking on Tiamat part. I'm like, um, that could be a really long adventure just to get to Tiamat's level. <laughs> which which the, <laughs> yeah. in the adventure they did do a good job of here's how you can actually make it more understandable of why you guys can take on Tiamat at your level. Right, with the uh, with the weakening mechanic to bring her down to something that's manageable. Yeah, I mean, she's still... Uh, oh yeah, she still one still one hell of a fight. Yeah, especially after it, well, depending on how the, the PCs get into her, you know, there's an there. And I don't want to give away spoilers on it, but you know, there there are various ways to get to her. Some of them easier than others. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it, it did a good job of, of making uh, a CR thirty manageable for fifteenth level PCs. Yeah, yeah. I was I was very happy with that. And still yeah, my 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 only complaint with the um with the uh well the tier both horde and uh and rise of Tiamat is that um the the players 
advance very, very quickly. I mean, they're, they're, they're basically one session a level um, unless the DM adds a lot of their own content. But, you know, if you're, if you're not having a bunch of side adventures along the way, um, the, the, the players are, are and one session, in my opinion, uh, is not sufficient to really explore what a character is all about at that level. You know, one, one, le- one session at level six is, is not enough to say, okay, this is all the things that my character can do, regardless of the class, as a sixth level character. So uh, it, it, to me, it was just very rapid progression, and I would have liked to have seen, uh, I would like to have seen it broader. Um, and, and, and when I when I ran them, I was adding a lot of my own content for that reason. So, and, and unfortunately, they do lose a lot of the flavor text if they're just basically burning through it rather than stopping and, and interacting with the environment, interacting with the NPCs more. Because I, I agree with that. One or two four-hour sessions shouldn't be a level. It's it just seemed a little fast to let's hurry and get to the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the story. Uh, I, wh- what I would have rather seen, though, uh, was was uh, instead of so, for example, uh, with Rise of Tiamat, instead of it being an eight to fifteenth level uh, character progression, I would have rather it seen like a twelve or thirteenth to fifteenth level character. So something that uh, the DM would use after the characters were twelve level, and then have two or three levels in those eight sessions instead of one session per level, the way it usually runs out. Or or like I've been toying with in uh, one of our game worlds that we're working on is the group gets derailed because they lose the trail of the cult, you know, because it it, Mm. it doesn't connect smoothly to the next. So basically they go back to adventuring when they find traces of the cult again, you know, or they see a familiar face in, in, in town. And all of a sudden, boom! It gets them back on the trail. Yeah, um, yeah, that that would be good too. Yeah, some some way to interject uh, a broader uh, character experience than the, than just progressing through the the episodes as presented. Yeah, that would be that would be really good. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. At least with my group, my group, my main group, because they get sidetracked all the time. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what what I did uh, when I I did. Uh, when, and we, I just completed it for another group uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with Rise of Tiamat was I just used a, a bunch of other dragons. <laughs> Basically, every, I, I had the, the dragon horn going off. Uh, and uh, and actually, when they hit to 13th, and, and I so what was scheduled to be, you know, one episode, I was, I was turning into two or three. And they were still progressing fast, but at 13th they decided that they were ready to uh, to march on. So the so the last three episodes were just as presented in the book, uh, and and then they they fought Tiamat, and yeah, and it was it was fun. Yeah, it was good. I, it's a good adventure. Yeah. yeah, and even if you don't want to use it as written, you can still buy it, read it, and chop it up and re- reuse it in your regular adventures too, because there's some really good encounters that are in there. There are, yes, there are, and there are some. There are some very good characters to NPCs that are, that make for very interesting interactions. Uh, and I'm not giving anything away here because it will be presented in the first episode. But when the uh, the the renegade demons show up and you know op- 
say, you know, well, negotiate with the PCs. And, you know, it's, it's a good choice for the PCs you know, because you got, you know, these good characters saying, well, do we want to ally with these evil, you know, demons? Yeah, it's the classic, the enemy of my enemy. Well, they don't want things happening, and I don't want things happening. This one time, it just might be okay. Yeah, but that that's that's really good role-playing, right? That, that, that forces, you know, your lawful good cleric of, of light or whatever to say, you know, uh, can I compromise... <laughs> You know, my ideals to affiliate with these demons for a better cause. You know, that's that's just that's just that's that's it's bread right. and that's bread and butter drama right there. Cause... oh yeah, yeah. And to me, I, that is more interesting than a really good combat. I I, I I enjoy combat. You know, especially when it's you know well balanced and, and ran well. But uh, as a DM, the the things I enjoy watching the players. Is is when they're they're reaching you know they're they're trying to come to grips with their characters' morals and goals and, and uh, that to me is much more interesting in combat you know. But, oh, definitely. I mean, like in our uh, adventure where we did the start the D and D starter set for fifth edition, the rogue in our group they had an encounter with with a certain dragon. Things went bad because one other character was playing completely in their character and they had to take the shot even though the rest of the group was talking. The, the ranger just had to take the shot. Well, the folk here, I mean. And unfortunately, it resulted in bad things. And 80% of the group got wiped out in one shot. And the rogue managed to save things by talking and saying, here's my gold. And I'm like, you know what? I can't see this young wormling turning down a gold and a worshiper. I mean, part of the character is that they love to corrupt people. So right. by getting a rogue to be work for you, and then all of a sudden the mage who's doing this cute little trick of, hey, look, I made magic coins fall out of the dead spider. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I can see a young dragon laughing at that because you know he knows what you're doing, but it's just funny that you're doing it. So right. mage, rogue, you're my new vassals. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> clean up this garbage that's out there with the rest of your friends. Yeah. And, and Yeah. And it's just funny, and the players, they rack themselves because they're like, I'm sorry I did that to everyone, but I had to shoot. And, you know, it's like, no, you you did perfect. You're playing in character. You did what your character would do. It wasn't you playing a character. It was your character playing itself. And that's always a beautiful moment when you see the players just slip into their character and do what they have to do, even though every inch of the, the person playing is saying, don't do it, don't do it. But they just got to play it because it's what the character would do. Oh yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I <clears throat> we haven't really touched on it, but the the adventures I write are in my own campaign setting called Dimguard, which I I started back in second edition because second edition was the, the environments that they were very uh, kind of Renaissance and late medieval, and I wanted something more Dark Ages. But uh, I I try to have mechanics in there that force those type of forces onto the players. There, there are organizations and uh, themes that, that first of all, are, are much more historically accurate to the way life was in the, in the Dark Ages than, than D&D usually uh, has. Like, like, for example, the use of currency. You know, almost no one used currency in the Dark Ages. Currency was was didn't become 
uh, a widely used phenomena. It was it was in the Romans, and then it died out, and then it came back again in the uh, in the late or in in the medieval times. That that it, in the Dark Ages, almost no one had any money. So, you know, in D and D, everything is gold piece driven. How much gold pieces for this kind? But that's just not historically the way economies worked until the late medieval period and Renaissance period. But anyway, I, I digress. So, but. Uh, I, the the point of Demgard was to uh, was to force those type of moral decisions because uh, almost no one is acting in a hundred percent virtuous ways or in a hundred percent evil ways. Right? People are in entities are acting in their own self interests, which are sometimes good and sometimes bad. You know, this is, this is just the way things are. If you look at the history of the Catholic Church. You know, it's it's a it's a very much and uh, a mixed history as far as good and, and bad goes. Definitely, so, yeah. Because yeah. I could point my finger and scream witch, and I get a house and property for it. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of going out and mining from history. You know, it's like it's funny if our village is starving and the village across the way is prosperous. Why wouldn't we take our pitchforks and go over there? You know. Human society is full of fantastic adventure ideas. Yeah, and, and that actually comes up in the adventures that I that I published. Uh, the two of, two of the uh, of the cycles uh, had to do with the uh, a war between the humans and the orcs, right? And uh, and this happened in every session. Uh, every every group said, "Well, can't we call a crusade and get all the surrounding regions?" And and I had to point out to them, and this is actually an adventure, is that you don't just call a crusade, because historically, when crusaders came, they didn't just come out of the goodness of their heart. They were coming to loot us, and if the creatures that they were fighting didn't have enough loot, very, very often, they turned on their hosts. So it was not just something you did cavalierly to call a crusade. you had to make sure that it was worth the risk that Constantinople was going to get looted or not, you know, it, before you called a crusade. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm all for mining history for, for, for good, good fodder, yeah. I mean, let's just look at the second crusade. You know, hey, we've got all these mercenaries running around Europe basically looting and pillaging. Let's send them to someone else's house. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and the same thing with adventures. You know, use that NPC to send the adventures away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know, it's also funny. I guess history is written by the winners because you know the popular conception of the Crusaders were that they were just these you know holy avengers with pure of heart out to you know with a hundred percent faith and you know no no one was there for you know for the looting and the and the capturing the territory. They were just there to do the right thing. And, but yeah, historically, that's just not accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's two sides to every conflict. <laughs> yeah. That and, you know, just because the, 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 the empire came up through Europe at one point, Europe had to go down there, you know, the whole this for that. And, you know, good justification. Let's go get some economy boosts. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at the questions you had sent me there. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've kind of deviated from those. Those, those are fine, though. I, I much rather just have a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything out there you want to shamelessly plug? Because, hey, we have a podcast. Shamelessly plugging oh, is a good thing. The adventures I'm publishing are are not my primary livelihood, you know, so it's not like, 
know, I'm depending on this to pay my rent. And it's just nice to have an audience. Um, so, no, there's nothing I'm, I'm really looking to shamelessly plug. I just hope people back the Kickstarter and enjoy it. Yeah. All right. I mean, after all, you put a lot of work into these. I mean, you can definitely tell just reading through the first couple ones. I mean, it's you know, it's it's nice to get rewarded for your efforts and, if nothing else, pay for supplies for the next one. Right. Yeah. That's the good thing about the uh, electronic age is that, um, you know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of overhead to yeah. do what I do. Yeah. And folks can actually self-publish, which is great. But, I, you know, here is something I will put out there because um, it has come up uh, several times. Um, uh, Wizards of the Coast does not grant explicit li- – uh, like the you, know, you had the o- open license under uh, 3.5 that anybody could use. Um, so they will – and I tried, to get a, I tried to get a license from them. And he said, well, you're not big enough. <laughs> uh, so I said, well, is it okay if I do this? And I said, well, we'll give you permission. I said, well, are you going to shut me down? And they said, well, we will review your material as needed, and we may shut you down. Um, and so I was very careful. Like, if you read every adventure, the first paragraph says, you need to go out and support Wizards of the Coast. You need to buy their material. So I guess they've been happy with that. Um, and anyone who's going, who is intent on publishing uh, D&D 5th edition material, I would encourage them that the first thing they do in anything they publish is to plug Wizards of the Coast source material. Um, I, Definitely. Yeah. Because you don't want to end up getting a cease and desist order dropped on your desk. Right, and, and that's that's why it's come up. Is I've had several people contact me and say, how how come you haven't gotten a cease and desist? I said, well, uh, my only guess is that they like the fact that I'm publishing a nearly free product. That the first paragraph says, go out and buy $150 worth of Wizards of the Coast material. <laughs> so, so I would, if anyone is wanting to publish content for this edition, my suggestion would be to do something like that with what they're going to publish as well. Always make sure you tip your hat to the source material. That's right, yeah. And, and, and give credit where it is due, because they do put a lot of work into it. Yeah, I think they've done a great job. I, 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 I think it's bad for any game subculture when the people who are working really hard to produce the content don't get paid. Um, yeah. Uh, because if they don't, then they stop producing the content, Yeah. I and mean, you want to keep a good supply of good content coming. Definitely. For sure. And hey, in 5th edition, the artwork has been fantastic in all of the books. So, you know, it's not like that comes cheap. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's true. And uh, for you players out there, GMs like to be taken care of too, so bring snacks and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's never, never a bad thing to bring a, a peps for your GM. <laughs> So uh, for our closing question, uh, for you personally to play uh, 5th edition, what's your favorite race and class combination? Um, well, I've played several characters in 5th edition, um, but uh, my favorite is uh, a human variant bard that's just, uh, just so versatile. You can just do so much with that, you know, and so that would that, and, and so my two favorite characters are both human variant bards, so. One of them, one of them is a healer. One of them is a is a caster. And yeah, that's that, that, that's that's one of the nice things. Bards are back to being a really good jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 nice to go out there with your bard and you know help everybody. Everybody loves having a bard in the party. Yeah. <laughs> now, if only they still had bardic immunity. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, Dan, it's been great having you on the show, and I'll go ahead and get this edited, and it should be up probably in about an hour and a half or so. So oh, I'll go wow. ahead and shoot you an email once I've got it all edited for you, so that way we can hopefully get it out there to the you know folks to hear about your Kickstarter and check it out before it's you know before it finishes tomorrow. Right, or actually, you know, it should be finished on Sunday, right? Friday, the first. Friday, the first. Friday. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jim. And everybody at home, thank you for listening. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.